Hello, listeners. I have a couple important things to talk to you about before we get into this episode. The first thing is that it is time for you to send us your questions about gender and or sexuality for our Pride Month Q&A episode. So please send those to us by June 1st, either by going to hashtag ruthless.com and clicking on contact or by emailing us directly at thegaylyprofit at gmail.com. The second thing is that we are taking May off in order to be able to get all of the stuff that we have planned for Pride Month ready and out into the world. So this is the last episode you will hear until June, but in June you will be getting, and I'm not exaggerating here, five episodes of The Gaily Prophet. So, uh, you know, don't fret because it's totally going to be worth it. One thing that you might want to do while you are missing us in May is read the sequel to the Trans Wizard Harriet Porber book, which is called Trans Wizard Harriet Porber and the Theater of Love, of course, by Chuck Tingle. Our first episode of June is going to be about that book. And after we release that episode, you will have time to send us some questions for one Mr. Chuck Tingle, and we will be interviewing him about that book and releasing that at the end of June. So that's real exciting. That's all the things. I think that's all the things. So let's get into this episode. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, and that's your choice in this world. Gay people love cons. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. And this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual, but never McGonagall. Let's talk about (laughs) Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Larg Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapter five of Goblet of Fire, Weasley's Wizard Wheezies, in which Harry arrives at the burrow and meets the oldest of the Weasley kids, Bill and Charlie. Only Arthur is super pissed about what happened to Dudley and the twins brush it off until Molly gets wind of it. Harry and Ron make a tactical escape to Ron's room, where we learn about the twins' new business venture, Percy's new job, and some more goddamn exposition. They all go back to the kitchen where Molly is doing some impressive magic that isn't even remarked upon because hashtag the patriarchy. At dinner, Harry learns some info that will be very relevant later. Molly wants Bill to dress more like a cishet dude, and Harry actually eats some vegetables that are not a potato. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Study finds continued optimism from Gaily Prophet hosts to be bizarre but kind of cute, considering that the next chapter is always going to be fucked up. <laughs> oh, God. So uh-huh. true. Yeah, this chapter was way more fucked up than I remember it being. Yeah, me too. 
we keep being like next time and then we're like no (laughs) next time (laughs) anyway we uh turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else so we're going to talk about bill a lot in this episode but i don't want to overlook the fact that charlie also sounds like an extreme babe Harry doesn't really tell us about it because Harry's into pretty boys, and I don't think that Charlie is a pretty boy, but I think that Charlie is very hot. Yeah, I I sort of love Charlie because the older I get, the more I realize he's he has, like, my dream job, which is, like, all cool animals all of the time, and, like, yeah. never coming home for family events. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Charlie's really got it. I want... I want to explore Charlie's, like, side adventures, making, like, rad chosen family with other dragon people who will do things like break through all of the protective enchantments at Hogwarts to kidnap a baby dragon and take it to safety without getting Hagrid in trouble. I mean, we have to imagine that if you're chilling with dragons, you are probably some kind of, like, combination of queer goth punk. Yeah. With a little bit of uh, adrenaline junkie thrown in. Yeah, but also big, I mean, Charlie has big just, you know, farmer queer energy too. Yeah. It's really, I mean, yeah, Charlie is is a bird sanctuary queer. And that's great. <laughs> Charlie's, Charlie's the person on Instagram who is posting a photo of like him holding a baby dragon that's like wrapped in some kind of cute baby onesie uh, that has, like, bunny ears on it or something. (laughs) God, imagine Charlie's fucking TikTok. (laughs) Charlie's TikTok would be so good. It kind of reminds me of of a lot of the wild bird sanctuary TikTok accounts that I follow. (laughs) And also a little bit of the new person I follow at Instagram who just has a bunch of poisonous snakes. Like, she owns a bunch of poisonous snakes and just... The Instagram is just video these like excellent quality videos of her beautiful snakes. That's incredible. What do you have first? I have first that the twins this is so this is the beginning of the twins eventual small business. And it reminds me a little bit of the kids that I knew in middle school and high school who would sell snacks out of their locker or backpack to other kids in the class. Which, at least at my high school, which also maybe also at your high school, we didn't have vending machines. So there was a sort of thriving market of people who had clearly brought like a Costco or people's parents had brought like a Costco pack of snacks. And they were just selling it out of their, like upcharge selling it out of their backpacks. Anyway, yes, that's all I have about that. Cool. Um, I just wrote, <laughs> Percy has no room for flimsy shallow bottoms oh wait (laughs) (laughs) wow how did i not even put (laughs) (laughs) listen you gotta be kind of a gotta be kind of a hard bottom that's what he's for Yep, he knows a thing or two about about bottoms, and he is he's not here for any underperformance. In that area. <laughs> oh, 
Moving on. What's next? <laughs> uh, Ron has a frog. What happens to his frog? We never hear of his frog ever again. <laughs> Molly has the unfortunate responsibility of taking care of it while he's at school, I guess. I kind of hope that Molly just accidentally on purpose like lets it go into the garden. Because I'm imagining if he has a bunch of tadpoles, they're probably caught in a local puddle or pond or whatever the fuck. They live in a very rural area. So I'm hoping they're native frogs and then Molly can just be like, whoops, there you go. That makes sense. They probably have a pond on their property. Maybe it's just a science experiment more than a pet. Yeah. I mean, tadpoles are very cute. It's true. So I mean, frogs are also cute. Uh, speaking of pets, I would like to propose that Ginny has been playing Pokemon with one of her muggle-born friends. <laughs> because that's the only thing I can think of that explains naming this owl Pigwidget. I actually have a little bit about that in Health and Science. We can talk about the etymology then, but Jenny did not do etymology research, and Pigwidgeon sounds like a Pokemon name. It does sound like a Pokemon name, but Pigwidgeon is, I mean, before these books came out, a bit of an obscure kind of English word that means either an insignificant person or some kind of small creature like a fairy or an elf or a imp or whatever the fuck. So, considering all the fake-ass Latin we get in the witching world, on top of it being sort of vaguely Middle Ages, Victorian-ish, that maybe Ginny like read it in a book or something. It was like, that's a cute name or a cute word. You're probably right, and I feel disappointed. I do love the Pokemon thing, though, because since we already established that Fred and George go into the Muggle village to flirt with girls, apparently, that it totally makes sense that Ginny would also have gun into the muggle village and like has friends yeah and surely there are muggle-borns i mean we've talked about smuggling their game boys into hogwarts too hell yeah at the very least they're bringing their fucking pokemon cards and their indexes those goddamn indexes that we oh, like the binders <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't know what they're called but definitely like yeah the binder full of pokemon cards and facts and whatever yeah. No, yours is right and also, like, <laughs> cool. Listen, I just I wanted here... Jenny to play Pokemon, that's all. I think, I, I I feel very confident in saying that Jenny has definitely paid Pokemon at some point. And we are here for multiple interpretations of the text. <laughs> that's true, we are. Uh, all right, what do you have next? So I'm going to get a little bit into the magic of this later, but... Are there really no charms to prevent you from burning your food? Because as someone with ADHD, I'm like, all the things magic can do, it can't stop you from burning your sauce. What is the point? Literally, what is the point? <laughs> what a great, what a great point. <laughs> if I could just wave my wand and I can leave things in the stove and it wouldn't trigger my smoke alarm, so much easier to fry things in my cast iron, obviously. <laughs> Yep, um, it would be great. You are correct. <laughs> um, okay, going back, going back to, <laughs> to sex because that's apparently just half of my front page. I'm here for this. Ron apparently jerks off to Quidditch posters. They are on his ceiling. 
you over know, his bed. I was thinking about that when I read that part, and I'm because why else do you put posters on your ceiling unless you're attracted to people on it and you can like look at them in your bed? It is. And I, I like didn't write anything down because I like couldn't. I like couldn't quite articulate what I was like. Really, but you're correct. It he is totally does. foreshadowing to what we're about to see between him and Victor Crumb. Like he has a thing for Quidditch players. Clearly, it's a thing that uh, him and Hermione have in common. So when they true. inevitably open their relationship several years from now, they can. They're just gonna bring in Crumb as a third. Honestly, yeah. They're both attracted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to work out really well. <laughs> or like whatever other Quidditch player inevitably would be like, yes, I do want to hook up with these war heroes. Obviously. Right. Yeah, I like almost started cry, crying from just like <laughs> utter amusement when I read that and just... Put, wrote like a bunch of arrows pointing to it in my, in my book. I, I couldn't just underline it. I was just like, oh my god. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> uh, this chapter really just hits home that Ginny is the not like other girls. She's a cool girl. Uh, especially compared to Hermione who is very anxious about things that are happening in this chapter that everyone else is laughing at. Which I also feel like is hashtag the patriarchy. It sure is. And I can't totally say that I blame her. I, because I feel that there are things I obviously enjoy watching people doing, but watching people do things that are are like, y'all, we could get in trouble, makes me anxious. Uh, especially when I was younger and had and had way worse boundaries <laughs> to be like, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> y'all can do right. this. So... Yeah, the description of Hermione watching the table battle. Yeah, I was like, me too. That's exactly how I would feel in that situation. There's so many things. A, you can make Molly more mad, which is rude because she's already very upset. Yeah. We'll talk later about how we feel about it. But Mm -hmm. she's very bothered and that's not polite. Also, definitely a leg fell off. That could have seriously hurt someone. And... I don't know. Also, it's just stressful and loud. And as we have established, Hermione also almost certainly has sensory processing issues. So it's really hard to have fun when the fun involves a lot of loud banging. Yeah. Also, y'all have magic. This is this is really the funniest thing y'all could be doing. <laughs> like even even grab some of the twins fireworks that i inevitably know that they have in their rooms right now yeah all right this is my last thing which is just that i you know we've been talking a lot about exposition having percy as this you know self-important person who's very anxious and eager to show that he is in on the office gossip is exactly how you do good exposition there's no other way to get this information about Bertha in here, but it actually really works because that's exactly what Percy would be like. Is like, yeah. I know about this thing because I'm such an important person at the Ministry of Magic. He knows all the hot goss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, I don't know if I would qualify it as exposition since it becomes so important later in the book because we don't we don't already know this information. I don't know. Maybe this kind of exposition. 
I don't know if there's a word for what I'm trying to describe. Anyway, but you're right. I'm pretty sure that it's exposition because exposition isn't always information that you know. It's a situation in a book where the the reader is being given information that they're not being shown. So like the the conversation in the first book where Dumbledore and McGonagall are sort of catching us up on why it's relevant that Harry Potter killed Voldemort and whatever and it's super stilted and awkward because they have a pre-existing relationship that wouldn't call for this that's new information to us and it's given to us poorly because the conversation isn't believable or another example would be how Giles is always giving exposition and you don't realize his exposition because he's just like oh well I know this thing about this thing and you're like thanks Giles yes but it's like oh you all of your lines are basically exposition (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry dude uh, yeah, but you know, it came as as a as a breath of fresh air in this five chapters in to be like, oh, look at for one moment we have information being delivered to us in a way that is believable. Yeah, no, you're right. Oh, Percy, he's just trying so hard. He is. <laughs> um. Yeah. What do you have left here? Uh, I just have a uh, like three quick things. We are four books in, and we see Harry eat a salad, a.k.a. the first time he is not maybe eating a vegetable that is not a potato. <laughs> That's so true. <sighs> I was like, someone in these books is like, here's some salad to go with this very hearty meal. <laughs> there's there's carrots and onions and stuff in a lot of the savory pies that they eat. That's true. Probably in the savory pie they're eating in this chapter. Yeah. I think Harry eats a lot of root vegetables generally, but not a lot of vegetables that grow above the ground. I mean, I do love a root vegetable, so I can't fault him for that. If I could put carrots in any in everything, I probably would. Uh, but speaking of more food, uh, Molly's spread looks sounds incredible. I want to be eating all of this. I also want to be drinking that elderflower wine that Percy has that you know Molly makes herself. That shit is probably so good. Yeah, that sounded incredible. I know, for a book series that often has a lot of, like, food descriptions, it's just like, but I want to know more about this one. I mean, Harry's not drinking the wine, but I'm like, I'm sure it's so good. Okay, and then my last thing is just that we obviously get more of this in the book, but we get a little bit more about the rest of the witching world when uh, Charlie is discussing this year's world cup situation and about all these other countries and like which team is doing good and which team you know whatever and i'm like oh yeah there are witches in peru and uganda and like other parts of the world yeah i also appreciated that Welcome to our brand new segment, Foreign Correspondence, where we pose a question to our self-appointed UK correspondent uh, during episodes when they come up, and then they answer our questions, and then we talk about it here. <gasps> so excited. I know. So it, I guess, two episodes ago, we had the conversation about Molly Weasley as like mothering figure, and if there was some sort of like archetype of the Irish nanny similar to the mammy in the United States to which 
our correspondent responded that uh, there isn't necessarily an archetype for an Irish nanny. However, there's definitely a community aspect to Molly Weasley. Molly Weasley epitomizes the stay-at-home mom stereotype in the UK. She's not great at listening, always multitasking, never taking a breath, which I think is why she can get angry so quickly. From the outside, probably considered a good mother because she's always around, picking up the kids from school, making homemade lunches, etc. Particularly in the UK, that can often mean that your home is always open to other kids that need somewhere to go while their parents finish work. Intrigued, I then did some more research uh if there is a parallel to the idea of the mammy in the united states we will never know because mammy is irish for mommy and therefore when you search irish mammy you just get information about irish mothers interesting makes it hard to narrow your search but uh i did learn that the idea of the irish mammy is its own sort of massive cultural stereotype so it's not related to like nannying or it's related to the, their own uh, children, but apparently it's very problematic and also very in in the culture. You can follow like an Irish mammy Twitter account that just like tweets things that a, you know, bumbling stay at home mom would tweet and it's very popular I have a couple quotes from articles that I want to read in relation to this. Um, So the first one is from an article by Tanya Sweeney. The quote is, Irish mammy, two small words, but one magnificent and treasured institution. As stereotypes go, you'd be hard pressed to find one more enduring and singular. Invariably flanked by boorish sons and long-suffering daughters, she is a force to be reckoned with in her own domain, a bewildering blend of wackiness, threats, affection, quick quips, and notions about herself. And amid her ongoing preoccupations with the weather or tea or the immersion heater or the next-door neighbors, she'll always find time to do her son's weekly wash. Interesting. So hold that. And then I have a quote from Claire O'Day, or O'D, I don't know in an article that was more specifically criticizing uh, the idea, which says, A well-meaning boar, her main concerns are the weather, sandwiches, and washing clothes. She's an empty nester, still badgering her adult children to wear a scarf on a cold day. So I think we can safely say that Molly Weasley is intentionally modeled after this stereotype. Yeah, no, for sure. Man, what an interesting cultural exchange this is. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely makes sense as sort of a UK fucked up trope that Molly Weasley definitely inhabits. Yeah, I found it pretty interesting that when I added Molly Weasley to my search terms, I didn't find anything but like one Tumblr post where she was just on a list of like, you know, Irish mammies in media. There's, I didn't find anything with people talking about her as an embodiment of this sort of stereotype which just seemed really weird to me and it definitely sounds like it's not it's not as if this trope is played with at all with molly it just seems like she is straight up that trope exactly which i suppose shocker jkr is the fucking worst but it does seem kind of it doesn't kind of strange that there isn't like some essays out there about this. Anybody who feels inspired to write an essay about this, there is a a space in the internet for you. You could you could fill it if you want to. I definitely feel like I've read at least a couple of essays about 
mothers in general in this series and how so many of the adult female characters we have are mothers and the ones that aren't are doing femininity wrong tm uh yeah welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up wow there are so many things in this chapter so many things yeah so the twins the i think the the first thing that's stated is that they have been looking for someone to test this product on all summer and they've decided to test it on dudley and i don't know i mean i i do know it, it just it just made it a next level of bad to me that they hadn't already tested this at least on themselves yeah because like anything could have happened right completely untested new magic on a muggle what the fuck y'all and they weren't even there you know i know i think them trying to explain this very obvious muggle baiting about oh not because Dudley was a muggle because he's an asshole it's and that feels a little bit like it's not racist because and once you have that but or because it doesn't matter what comes after that because it's still fucked up yeah and i just i was not at all by their justification and was actually very angry about them being like no it's fine we were just doing it because he is a bully to harry which i understand the instinct to fuck with people who are fucking with your friend but the power dynamics of what's happening here are too fucked for this to be anything but really bad yeah for sure yeah i called it an imaginary distinction in my notes because it's just like which is true that that uh, whatever you are convincing yourself of here whichever twin says that like that's not real that doesn't exist i think it was i meant to write that down anyway it's yeah, usually fred george sort of only talks when it's when there needs to be a second one chiming in which is really weird but which i think in general makes fred kind of the meaner twin mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah yeah, I thought, I agree. I think that also is really fucked up. Arthur's point, I also have about how this undermines wizard-muggle relations. Like, regardless of what the twins are telling themselves about their reasoning for doing this to Dudley, actually that has no bearing on whether or not this action is harmful to wizard-muggle relations. Obviously, you did something that like in a wizardly way harmed a muggle like by uh, baseline default that harms wizard muggle relations <laughs> like i don't know i don't know how you can possibly attempt to justify to yourself that you weren't doing that because yeah. you were and only because of a few spe- like very specific circumstances that the twins aren't, in fact, in front of Arthur's department, which I was kind of like, does this make Arthur a cop? Did we, we discuss this? I don't. We haven't, I guess. Yeah. But not like, it, feel, it just kind of feels like what he does is sort of, if it was like a U.S. police department, he'd be like in a, in a certain section. Like he doesn't have a gun, but he still gets his paycheck from the police department kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... Obviously, he's not going to turn his own kids in because 
he can do that. He can make that choice not to do that. Right. Which I totally get. And along with that, an author kind of, an author being like, oh, yeah, I helped uh, Ludo Bagman's cousin with a little small thing. I'm like, you're kind of corrupt. Just like, yeah. really, dude? <laughs> Which made me deeply sad. Uh-huh. Deeply, deeply sad. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that we'll continue seeing from him, too. He he helps Mad-Eye Moody out sort of all the time. And Mad-Eye Moody has, like, intense PTSD. I don't think yeah. he should be getting fucking fines for doing these things that he thinks he needs to do to protect himself, but also for, at a, you know, baseline level. Yeah. Arthur is helping out a friend. If he didn't respect Moody, he wouldn't be doing it, so. Not not at all. And I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that the twins should be arrested because fuck cops, you know, fuck prisons. I'm not saying that they should have some kind of ministry disciplinary actions because since the whole ministry is corrupt, who the fuck knows what that would look like? But, no, not but. That's a full end sentence. Stop. I think the twins should... I don't I don't know... I mean, I don't have kids. I don't know how you should be disciplining your teenage your teenage kids. But in no way is it hammering home sort of the depth and the seriousness of what they have done. Yeah. And you can do that without punishing people. Definitely. But I don't think that's what we get in this chapter. And it's very, I mean, it's very sad. It's very upsetting. Because I did a deeply fucked up thing and caused Dully to have even more trauma than he already has about the fucking witching world. Yeah. And, I mean, Arthur is right. Like, they're, they're doing the thing that he has to go out every day at work to, like, smooth over, which is, which is traumatizing muggles because it doesn't matter, quote unquote. Yeah, totally. There definitely needed to be some sort of empathy building around this situation. And it it just didn't it just didn't happen. Which is why we all need a community justice system and not cops. Mm-hmm. So there could have been a coming together of the twins and Dudley and the Dursleys and we could you know. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the ways that Arthur and Molly address this situation? Yeah, I think that's a really natural kind of segue into their actual reaction to what the twins do. We don't get a lot of where Arthur would have gone with this, which I find disappointing because I I do want to know how he would have addressed it with the twins. And I mean, hopefully not just with the twins, but also with everyone else in the kitchen who is also laughing at this quote unquote prank that has been pulled because all of these people need to be made aware of the fact that they like are laughing at someone being harmed. Yeah. But what we do see is that whatever he was going to do, he wasn't going to tell Molly about it, which. (laughs) That that makes me think that Arthur probably would have said his thing and whatever punishment the twins had wouldn't have been it wouldn't be wash all the dishes without magic or your guys can't go to the village for like the next month or locking your brooms up because that would molly would notice and be like what the fuck so and i guess that's just kind of my read on it no i mean i think that you're right i my pause was 
just do I think that any of those things would have actually made a meaningful impression on the twins and so do I want those to be I just don't think that punishment is like effective for sort of anything because then they just won't do it in as careless of ways where they might get caught it's not gonna it's just gonna make them afraid of getting caught not afraid of doing the thing or like realizing why they shouldn't have done the thing or they're just gonna get better at keeping things hidden which as i think we can see they are you're pretty good at right yeah so which isn't i mean i don't i don't know i don't know what arthur would have done but oh there's so many pieces of this so i like don't know which way to go i'm like what would have been a good solution and also how fucked up is it that he isn't telling molly things like that's not how being a parent is supposed to work not how co-parenting is supposed to work and then the book straight up tells us that he's like afraid of her which is its own separate what the fuck and then there's the reaction that molly does have which is probably the reason he's afraid of her so i don't know pick any of those what do you want to talk about i just i feel very conflicted because i understand why i understand by why both author and molly are freaking out at the twins because this is a very serious thing that they've done i don't like the way that either of them have gone about it and i'm also kind of like i again i don't have kids i have no idea how you address this besides like sitting down with them and just sort of hashing out why this is fucked up no matter what kind of justifications you give to yourself this is still a problem because of x y and z but arthur and molly aren't those kind of parents which is its own yes issue i don't know i guess i just don't know how you deal with you're freaked out because your kids did a dangerous terrible thing and that freaks you out but you're also just angry because they've done it and you thought they would know better and again i i think this i like their response is incorrect but i don't know what i don't know i kind of feel like we see arthur going in a direction that i would want him to go but he i mean he stops before molly shows up but you know he's saying basically you baited him into taking this because you knew that he was on this quote-unquote diet and this is the kind of muggle baiting that I work so hard to stop and then he stops at the point where he says wait till I tell your mother at that point clearly he wasn't going to go any further with that line of talking but that basic I think he should have continued with that in a more controlled setting where everyone was feeling calmer but in a like look, we need to sit down and like, really, I need you to put yourself in the mind frame of this kid that you did this to and really imagine what that feels like because that's how empathy works. I think the thing that really bothers me, I guess, is the fact that at least Arthur is yelling at them about what they did, but it sounds like Molly is yelling at them about... Their whole deal. Their whole deal, which in this context, I think is worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of the things that we hear Molly be angry about when Ryan and Harry in the kitchen are t- are really incorrect. Her point about the twins selling potential, like, dangerous stuff to the, to the student body of Hogwarts is, I think, a legitimate concern. But the rest of it is just the twins' disappointments compared to my other sons, which is a fucked up thing to say about your fucking kids, who are, again, clearly neurodiverse yeah 
And, like, no one even suggests making at least going back to the Dursleys and apologizing to poor fucking Dudley. Which probably, yes, is, right, bare minimum. Like, the like the bar for that is in the ground, but that is at least what you should be doing. Yep. Yeah, at least write a letter if you're afraid for your safety with Vernon Dursley, which is fair. Yeah, I mean, actually, right, that's probably exactly the path that they should have gone, is, like, I need you to sit down and, like, write out a meaningful four-part apology, right? What was the harm? Why was it harmful? You know, what? Are, how are you going to address it? I forgot what the parts of an apology are, but so that they have to, like, dedicate a paragraph to actually processing why what they did was bad. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Do you want to talk about Arthur being afraid of Molly? Yeah. I didn't have it in my notes, but we definitely can. What is the purpose of this is kind of my question. And we've talked before about how they're sort of a, like, sitcom couple where, like, the dad is, like, basically a big kid and the mom is this, like, overbearing, in charge of everyone, but in a, like, can't take her too seriously kind of way. I think that just like molly is sort of an unfortunate trope of a certain kind of domineering housewife type that arthur is just a straight-up trope of a sort of like henpecked husband where he kind of like i go along with it because my wife is such a aggressive bombastic presence and it's just not worth my time to fucking even deal with it and i mean this happens i mean yes so many sitcoms. So many uh, not sitcoms. I mean, like, Rory from Doctor Who is a little bit like this. Not, I think, as aggressively so. But, I mean, he's kind of the first example that sort of comes to mind. And it just feels so boring because you could have done more with that as opposed to just straight up being, like, aggressive white, henpeck husband. Done. This is the dynamic we're going to have. Yeah. Okay. I feel like Amy and Rory have a, like, clearly established, like, consensual power play, uh, (laughs) 24-7, you know, power dynamic that they've decided upon. So I feel like that's a little bit different, though I do think you're right. I, the one that always comes to mind, I think, as, as sort of the quintessential trope of this is the parents from Boy Meets World. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, if you ever watched Malcolm in the Middle, definitely the mom and dad in that show. I have not, but that sounds right. <laughs> I've seen, like, I've seen commercials. I feel like that's sort of just that, you know, if it's a sitcom a- aimed for kids aged like nine to 13, then you're going to have that parent dynamic in it because it's question mark funny. And it's like, but this isn't funny at all. Yeah. And it especially isn't funny because the minute you sort of examine it, you realize how fucked up it is. Like three seconds of just thinking about it. You're like, oh. Unless it's like, you're right, an established sort of intentional kind of power dynamic, you know, that's different. But you can understand that it's all parties agree to that, I should say. Um, Then that's one way. But this is not, that does not feel like this kind of dynamic. No, not at all. Yeah. Shall we talk about neurodivergent twins? 
Yeah, since I brought it, <laughs> I don't know if you had it in your notes, but the minute I said it, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's my next thing in, in my notes. Starting with Jenny's line, we never thought they were making things. We thought they just liked the noise. It was like, that is like the most. <laughs> just, I That's like at the start of an essay about like raising neurodivergent kids. You know, like what the fuck? How I realized <laughs> that I should take my children seriously. And the way that Molly in particular treats them in this chapter is infuriating. Right. It's fucked up that Molly is obviously the parent who is, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be a prefect? Why can't you get a whole fuck ton of owls and a whole fuck ton of newts and go off and have a high-profile, desirable career like the rest of my sons. And yeah, especially the part where obviously the twins are creating all of this shit. They're brilliant. I think we've discussed the maybe the twins' brilliance in the past, but they also didn't get as many... They, didn't, they don't do well with your, with your standardized test. Shocker. <laughs> what, is, what does that sound... What does that sound like? Oh yeah, so many kinds... Of people who are neurodiverse or are like, fucks, didn't do well in school, but let me tell you about my small business I own now. Right. I got so mad at the part where she says that they've clearly got brains, but they're wasting them. And I'm like, by whose standard? What the fuck do you mean? How are they wasting their brains look look what they made like what the fuck i get that you're concerned because there's like potential danger you're worried they're gonna get kicked out of hogwarts those are separate things those have nothing to do with the legitimacy of the things that they are doing with their brains which is incredible magic it's it's very it's it's similar vibes as if only you applied yourself or i know you can do better than this why do your grades suck uh all the terrible things that People like me who have ADHD have been hearing that for years now need therapy for. Yep. <laughs> why, why aren't you applying yourself better? I know you can do this. Fuck you. Fuck you, every teacher who ever told me that. Uh-huh. So yeah, so it's incredibly fucked up for Molly to be saying these things to her other children and probably saying them to the twins' faces constantly. Yeah, cle- clearly, clearly. And the fact that she's still holding out this hope that they're going to join the ministry. And it's like, have you met your children? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, Why? there are only three. There are only three jobs in this world. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I, I, I still don't so. think. I, no, I, her, her argument is not legitimate at all. It feels a little bit. It feels a little like class anxiety where I want you to grow up and get a good job that you can support yourself. Why do you want to become an artist or some shit like that, you know? And it's great that the twins end up having a very successful business, but it very easily could have not been a successful business, you know? Yeah. Especially if they hadn't have gotten startup money from venture capitalist Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I mean, they needed that because they don't have Kickstarter. But <laughs> if they had Kickstarter, they would have been fine. They would have had a very successful Kickstarter. I yeah. Know. 
I don't know. I'm just saying, like, at the very least, even if they couldn't start their own shop, they would have gotten jobs as developers for Zonkos, you know? Yeah. And they still would have been lucratively employed. There are, there, I mean, in terms of creating things, there are more jobs than I think we see someone is making the shit for Zonkos. So, yeah. They were always going to be able to find an application for the kinds of things, the kinds of magic that they can do, even if it wasn't their dream application. Oh my God, you know what it is? I don't. Her children's success are a reflection on Molly herself, because what else does she have in her life besides her children? Not not a healthy way to live your life, let me tell you. But she's taking the twins' life goals and what makes them happy and they're successful at deeply personal, yeah. which you shouldn't because you have no idea if your children are like what they're going to be good at and what they're going to want to do and how their neurodiversity might show up in a terrible little capitalist world like the witching world. Yeah. So. Yeah. You really gotta, you really gotta, you know, make yourself available to whomever your children turn out to be if you want to be a parent there should be a clause to sign something (laughs) (sighs) yeah yeah uh yes what do you have next do you want to talk about bill do you even hear stuff about bill in here and i don't remember if this came up in the last book because those first few chapters of prisoner azkaban were like a year ago but uh bill is a thieving colonizer uh, stealing the magical treasures of other countries, which is extremely not hot. Not a hot look for my dude. We know that he has done quote-unquote work in, in in Egypt, which is robbing the Egyptian people of their natural wealth to take back to England. Uh, what the actual fuck? I mean, part of it, again, JKR is the worst, so you gotta throw in a little bit of good old... Uh, English colonialization, the sun never sets in the British Empire bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, and it's Bill. I know. Bill, why don't you know better? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I like, I realized this and I was like, oh, oh Bill, no. Leave, the, leave those Egyptian wizards' wealth and resources alone. Yeah, for real. His job is so fucked up. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you just punish people, but you don't teach them about why what they did was wrong. Is that, you know, someone who was born after England was forced to give back all of their colonies still thinks that it was better when they had all of their colonies and writes it into her goddamn book. And it's just like, yeah, why not? It's legit for a country's wealth to be fully uh, dependent on stealing wealth from other countries. That's good and fine. I mean, the amount of wealth stolen from Egypt by England is mind-bogglingly huge. Yep, it sure is. I mean, the untold horrors of what the British Empire did is real. I feel like, again, because the U.S. education is fucking the worst, we don't really learn about how terrible it is, but it's, uh, it's all pretty fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. Yeah, that's a real that's a real bummer that that is what 
Bill's job is slash that that job exists at all. Also, does it even make sense that that's a job? Because like, it's not like they're investing it in like a global stock market or something. What do they do with the treasure? I don't know. Is there interest? I mean, are the Egyptian witches not fighting them? Because I mean, again, JKR is the worst, but IRL, I'm pretty sure they would be fighting Bill. Some fucking white dude from England is coming in to, like, steal shit from their country. J.K. Rowling is 100% one of those people who thinks that ancient Egypt is what Egypt is and that, like, Egyptians are extinct and that it's no longer a country. I feel like for the record, it took me an embarrassingly long time to be like, oh, wait, Egypt still exists with real people? Because a lot of things for kids are about ancient Egypt and you're like cool mummies and hieroglyphics and like giant pyramids and curses this sounds awesome and you don't really get the whole yeah Egypt still has people in it duh (laughs) yeah no me too Egypt and Greece it was like well into my teen years before I was like oh no these are still countries (laughs) like that's they didn't just somehow like disappear (laughs) off of the fucking earth yeah oh yeah oh y'all just be so careful with how you teach your children please <laughs> if you want to hear more about us yelling about this you should watch the most recent ep- listen to the most recent episode of we are the gayers <laughs> yeah you sure should uh, <laughs> oh no giles, giles and bill would get along so well yeah so i want to i mean obviously we'll talk about like the hot gender queerness of bill i think later but i do want to talk about molly's interaction with the hot gender queerness of bill here before we move on from him she is deeply upset that he looks like a, like a queer punk essentially yeah <laughs> with his one gay earring i know yeah and it's like why like why let bill wear his his witch doc martens and his beautiful flowing hair and his goddamn earring like just like let your kids be who they are really yeah it's very it's it's very unfortunate that she's acting like this partly again i think because her children are a reflection of her sense of self and how dare one of her children be non-normative in the world (laughs) Which is also funny just from a like world building standpoint because we see Sirius, long hair, Lucius Malfoy, long hair, Albus Dumbledore, long hair, Severus Snape, long hair. Like, this is clearly normal. She's somehow judging Bill to muggle gender standards, <laughs> which doesn't even make any fucking sense. I mean, shocking, this book doesn't make any sense when it comes to gender standards. I can't say Where is it coming from? Uh, <laughs> it, there must be something about his long hair. Maybe he has like a undercut or I hope so. I don't know. It's a, it's asymmetrical. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it like goes with his what I imagine to be like very well fitting all black basically muggle 
clothes. And so it just mm-hmm. takes on a whole different vibe in that context. Yeah. Just like if you would just wear a dress with your long hair, like regular <laughs> witches, then I wouldn't have any problems with this. <laughs> what will people think when they look at you? Also, Sirius definitely has one of his ears pierced because he also used to rock the, the one the one earring look. I think Sirius has both ears pierced. You think timeline wise, like arrow wise, I'm wrong? That's probably true. I don't know. The 70s were a wild time. I don't know. My dad had both ears pierced in the 90s. I guess it depends on what would upset his parents more. Is having one ear pierced or both ears pierced? Right. If Sirius had his, oh, I forget, left ear pierced, that would definitely... Is that the gay one? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That would definitely have upset his parents more. Except that's a muggle thing. They wouldn't have even known about it. Yeah. I don't know. Unless all the queer muggle kids are bringing this into Hogwarts pierce yeah. each other's ears it's probably much easier with magic to pierce your friend's ear <laughs> probably using a, a safety pin that you run under a lighter like eight times <laughs> <laughs> which i have done i have not had done but i've seen done i haven't had it done to myself i have done it to other people um and then i wrote that molly so just establishing as canon on the air, which we have in our our pride packet, but I don't think we have on the air establishing as gaily prophet canon that Charlie is Ace Arrow. I wrote that she probably gets after Charlie about the fact that he's never dated. Also, that probably causes Molly a lot of anxiety. It, it does, but I bet that Charlie's more butch gender presentation eases that a little bit. Because hmm. at least with kids, you you have seven kids. The odds of them having kids pretty good but yeah i think if charlie didn't look so butch and also hadn't ever brought anyone home or dated anyone molly would probably feel more anxiety but again who knows again charlie doesn't come home for christmas doesn't come home for holidays <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's just his thing. he's just like i don't even want to have these conversations i'm just gonna stay hanging out with some baby dragons yeah that's that's kind Which, of the same impression dude. that i get yeah yeah Maybe he's just non-confrontational. He's not like Bill. He's not going to argue with Molly. He's just going to never be there. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely here for the Ace Arrow Charlie reading for sure. Because we are no longer being generous with the author, I'm assuming that Ron's comment about Percy and Crouch, where he's like, they'll be announcing their engagement any day now, is in fact homophobic. I wondered about that. Because you can have a generous reading or a non-generous reading, but I'm not having a generous reading anymore so i'm with you sounds good and then my last thing here which maybe you have somewhere else is just the discussion about bertha jenkins jorkins jorkins i actually don't have that anywhere so yes let's talk about that uh it's incredibly fucked up i mean as we learn later on crack scrambles her fucking brains so she has disability and everyone's amazing is just like, LOL, whatever, we'll just keep shuffling you around. And it's clearly the possibly laughing stock of one of the laughing stocks of the ministry. And then she is fucking gone for a month and no one seems to give a fuck. It's just, which I think is also hashtag the patriarchy because Ludo Bagman's vibe is very, I feel like I love sports and drinking and I don't give a fuck about ladies. Yeah. And 
everyone's just like, whatever. That's fucked up that she's lost. We should probably go look for her. I'm like, is anyone looking for her? Because you should be. Yeah. So I just, I did not like any of the conversations. Just like, LOL, she'll show up eventually. She just got lost. And I'm like, this is why I don't, this is why Voldemort played y'all. Because you're just going to let this ministry employee be fucking lost. She could be dead. In fact, she is dead, right? Uh, yes, she is. Yeah. We're just going to let this uh, disabled lady just be lost. That's cool. I desperately dislike that. So I'm curious. I was curious about, I actually throughout this whole book, I'm curious about it because it, and I don't know. I don't know about in other countries. I feel like in the U.S., your employee disappears. You just hire someone new. Like, you assume that they quit without notice. You don't even Mm -hmm. maybe follow up after, like, the second day of being like, why the fuck aren't you here? And it usually is on, you know, it's like your friends or your family who report you missing. And so I've always actually found it a little bit, like, unbelievable that everyone's like, Ludo, she's your employee. Why aren't you doing something about this? Because it's like, well, he's not her friend. If she just quit without notice, why is it on him to be like, where is she? That seems like it should be someone. I mean, I I like that they want it to be his responsibility, but I've never found it particularly believable that it would be his responsibility as her now basically former boss. I guess for me, it makes sense just because the witching world is so small. Okay. That people notice these things. Everyone knows, basically knows everyone else. And the fact that this is, again, only three jobs <laughs> you can have. You're kind of like... I mean, I would be pissed if I wanted to, like, walk out of work and be like, I'm going on vacation, and then just, like, move to Albania because fuck all of that. And someone was like, I've tracked you down. I'd be like, God, what are you doing here? Get out of my space. I left. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, I think that you're right, given that we are expected to believe that this is the way that this should be handled your reading is correct separately i just think that it's weird that it's on her job to worry about her in that way yeah no that's fair you just didn't have anyone else yeah in which case it is good that it would be on her job she just has the job there are people like that yeah that's true i know welcome to advertisements where we ask you for money and then make you laugh have you always wanted to feel fancy by being a patron of the arts? Well, now you can. For just 7 or $21 a month, you too can put on a monocle, pour the beverage of your choice in a brandy snifter, while enjoying exclusive Patreon content of The Gaily Prophet, such as extended episodes of both Escape from Reality and The Gaily Prophet, our Buffy podcast, We Are the Gayers, and content like Letters to the Editor, where we answer your questions so check us out on patreon.com slash the gaily prophet if you're feeling real fancy <laughs> that was lovely i want there to be like a whatever it is when you talk real fast at the end that just says monocles not included <laughs> <laughs> monocles are not included <laughs> <sighs> and now it can be difficult to admit that parenting is sometimes overwhelming Our children don't always turn out how we expect, and learning to embrace them as who they are can be a struggle. Luckily, there's Therapy, a recently discovered solution from a most unexpected source, Muggles. 
Shockingly, muggles have spent the past century developing an effective strategy for a problem that plagues witchkind to this day. Therapy is the opportunity to sit down and talk with a qualified individual in a safe and private environment, allowing you to process your feelings before you make your children feel terrible about themselves. Witch parents who have tried therapy report an average of 30% fewer arguments within the first three months of treatment, and 90% of witches who participated in a year or more of therapy say that they experienced dramatically improved relationships with their families and an overall increased sense of well-being. Schedule your first appointment now and experience the wonders of therapy. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love everything about that. Thanks for having faith in me. I texted Jesse earlier, listeners, and was like, I'm trying to make an ad for therapy funny. And she said that she had faith in me, so I had faith in myself. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. All right. Apparently, there is some quality control in the witching world, and it is about cauldron bottoms, which... I guess if you're doing both magic and potentially cooking in a cauldron, makes sense to me. Yeah. But it's also just like, I mean, it seems like maybe there isn't the same kind of quality control in other places of the witching world. And it just kind of just goes back then to there must be imports and exports. And it's just like, how the fuck does this economy work again? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also... They make fun of Percy because he's like three third the meltdown rate or whatever is three percent a year, and they're like whatever. I'm like three percent a year is really fucking fast. Like that's a that's a really big deal. And at least in the U.S., people are about to start getting sued. I don't know what happens in the witching world when your cauldron melts. I mean, I get you get in trouble with fucking Professor Snape if you're Neville, but but if you're just like it. If you're at your home and you're like making, you're just like doing some potions and you and it leaks and then I don't know that that could cause you cause you grievous harm. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. <laughs> no, I didn't say Mungo's wants to be like, oh, it looks like everyone brought this one cauldron, so now we have so many third degree burns and magical transformations and blah blah. Right. Yeah, I mean, Percy's job seems like it's a good job for someone who is taking this seriously to have. As yes. much as the other kids are making fun of him for. Canonically, Percy is a Leo, but I think we can all agree that his moon and rising must be in Virgo for him to have <laughs> this much Virgo energy. Uh, but he's doing a great yeah. job. Like the perfect job for a Virgo is like standardizing shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even though I did feel like his comment about shoddy exports, foreign exports, I'm like, that sounds racist. Oh, that's true. <laughs> But that might be the author peeking through again. So who knows? True. It's also like, is it the foreign export that's the problem? Or is it the local demand that's insisting on cheap things and then expecting high quality? That's the problem, Percy Weasley. Mm, that's true. Not everyone can afford those cast iron or copper plated uh, cauldrons there. Gotta find a way. Just don't mark it up so much and pay the creators, whether they're domestic or foreign, the appropriate amount for a high quality product. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Kind of speaking of cauldrons, like you said, we see Molly do some really incredible magic. 
in this chapter. There's no home ec at Hogwarts. I'm like, where did Molly learn to do this magic? Why is this not taught? I literally have this in my notes because, yeah, like there's never a discussion of this at Hogwarts. So there's no home ec. I would assume that it's passed down mother to mother as a lot of things that are gendered in the home often are. But I was kind of like, if you're a muggle-born and you're partnered with another muggle-born, where the fuck do you learn this shit? You're just washing your dishes and you're peeling your potatoes by hand like a chump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There must also be books, though. I mean, there's so many books about organizing your home and this is probably gotta be things where it's like, you buy a witchy cookbook and it's like, here's how you do the thing. Yeah, but not everyone can like teach themselves how to do spells from a book as evidenced by the fact that you need to go to school to learn how to do spells. That's so, true. And they don't have YouTube, you know? Yeah. This is why this is a very uh, flawed system. Yeah. I mean, there's not home ec at muggle schools anymore either, which I think also is an issue. Yeah. We really need to be teaching children to like fix a tear in an article of clothing and like cook basic foods and like balance a checkbook or even just like how to fucking turn on auto pay on your credit card. <laughs> right. Right. What is all this bullshit in your bank statement? How the fuck do you learn this shit? Yep. Yeah. Very flawed system. I assume that Harry learns this things from Molly because I'm sure even though she might have tried to teach Jenny Jenny is not trying to be in her house making food for Harry. (laughs) Harry is her house husband. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So and I think Molly because of her obviously whatever weird traditional gender roles idea she has is probably still worded out by it but shows Harry anyway. Mm -hmm. And and then for like a year yells at Jenny for being a terrible wife. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny's like I'm an international Quidditch star (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) (sighs) alright so my note is Harry is hot for Bill I am hot for Bill we are all hot for Bill hell yeah Bill's so hot job aside yeah yeah Um, Harry definitely is a type and once again, we are getting him so many details about how Bill looks, which is hot. Mm-hmm. And basically, <laughs> two things about how Charlie looks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is like, damn, son. <laughs> yeah, he's stocky and has a scar anyway. So, Bill. <laughs> but Bill. <laughs> There's like literally like two or three paragraphs about how Bill looks. Harry was so surprised and it's like, uh huh. <laughs> There's literally no other word to describe him. He's cool. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, I just don't understand why I, why I find Bill to be so cool. I don't know what it is. Okay, <laughs> So I can't remember if we've agreed previously on how we are reading Bill. I know that we've had requests to read 
Bill is either genderqueer or non-binary. I don't know if we've agreed on one of those, but I feel like now is our moment to establish whatever the Gaily Prophet canon is. Well, he's definitely not hat arses, I think, is <laughs> where I land on this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is also a why not both situation, so... That's true. Yeah, why not both? Why not both? Cool. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. But also really just feels like so entirely floors type oh yeah right (laughs) yeah because i feel like floor makes just so much more sense when you read her as like a high femme yeah for sure yeah so cool yeah and again molly is upset at uh bill's gender presentation (laughs) she sure is she sure is awkwardly awkwardly upset about and then and then weirdly later weirdly upset about bill having this like smart beautiful fiance which only makes sense if you're like this is a queer relationship oh yeah because i really yeah. don't think it's like she's french <laughs> like although i know that that's yeah, like, it's like a thing but right it's like she is clearly high femme like there's yes. no i'm like there's no other way to her no no <laughs> uh, uh floor has like a like a it, like a instagram of just like her putting on her like just excellent flawless makeup yes <laughs> and talking about how like terrible the heterosexuals are i don't know it's just yeah that feels right she has big instagram and like queer instagram influencer energy oh yeah she's posting good memes you're just like, look at all these hot photos of you just draped across a fountain or something at <laughs> Bobaton, and you're just like on the beach or you're, you know, eating croissant in Paris. And it's just like, like unironically using I woke up like this as a hashtag. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's good. Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Slash, maybe I should start using our other show's tagline, which is where we talk about magic and science and magical science, because I think it's actually more apt. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, please talk to me about kitchen magic. Yes. So I don't think we ever get this discussion directly into, well, maybe Hermione says it in book seven where you can't magically create food it's one of the things like you have to you can manipulate existing food but you're not creating food out of thin air so clearly molly isn't creating sauce out of thin air that is producing the sauce that she's pouring out of her wand but i just really want to know then what is happening is it is it that she has a bowl of let's say it's a bechamel does she have a bowl of flour and butter and whatever the fuck else goes into bechamel heavy cream heavy cream and it's just magically pouring it's like magically combining and just pouring out of her wand into a pot is it something that she has already made and is like reheating to use it's just i want to know but because harry doesn't 
Harry isn't curious enough to care what is happening in this like fantastic feat of magic he is witnessing. Yeah. We're never going to know. Yeah. And I think this is a thing that has continued to bother me about <laughs> like it's such a gapping hole in the world building, which is how is this even happening? Like, you know? Yeah. And obviously not a school you teach at Hogwarts or else Hermione would be doing a similar thing when they're in the in their never ending camping trip in book seven and they're eating like mushrooms and berries and shit and yeah. Ron is like, I wanna be in my home with my mom and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I kinda get it, bro. Like <laughs> your mom seems to be excellent at cooking magic, whatever that's whatever that looks like. Which is also a speaking of the patriarchy thing, because why hasn't Ron been taught how to do this? Why isn't Ron the one who is feeding them on this fucking trip? Because Molly should have taught him. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that because of Molly's weird gender things, she probably hasn't taught any of her sons this. And even if she tried, Ron would be like, that's not for me right. to learn. Teach Ginny. Yeah, exactly. Ron, like, oh, this is a girl thing. I'm going to need to learn this. And it's yeah. like, do you want to know how to feed yourself, dumbass? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like when, like, cishead dudes don't know how to, like, do their own laundry or, like, cook anything. I'm like, you have to eat. You can't always rely on your girlfriend or a woman to, like, feed you. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I have no idea how that would break down in the future Ron-Hermione relationship, but... I'm sure not good. Yeah, no, Hermione's <laughs> not. They just live on takeout. I was about to say they order so much takeout. <laughs> Ron bribes Harry with beer to come over and like make dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just deeply upset that we never know how this magic works, but Molly's very good at it. And I just want to recognize that. Yeah, for sure. Um oh, sorry. Nothing. I was just thinking, I'm like, is the only other people we see making food house elves? I think so. I'm sure I'll think of a thing that about that at a later date. I'm just like, that is not for No. Since we talked about the cauldron thing earlier, my only health and science this episode is, so this, this aquarium in Ron's room previously held frog spawn, which is presumably lots of baby frogs, and now there's only one big frog, and... I'm like, is this a magic situation where they just, like, form into, like, one tadpole? Or was it a battle to the death? Oh, I totally think it was a battle to the death. That frog ate all the other frogs. Okay, that's what I think, too. <laughs> this is a dangerous frog that they should not be releasing into their pond. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe it is a medical frog. Or the twins have been experimenting with Ron's frogs. And that's why there's oh, only one left. That makes sense, also. And that one's just, like, getting all the food that was intended for multiple frogs, and that's why it's so big. All right, what do you have left? I have one last thing, which is... In this chapter, we see Molly pick up a fake wand and be angry about that, which is, I think, all just for laughs. But it brings up an, an interesting thing that I've always imagined, but the movie tries to stay differently, which I don't like, which is, I think that wands must look very similar to each other uh, and only like different in the kind of color variations between like cedar and holly and you and blah, blah. Um, but in general, like must be sort of in general, similar enough where the twins are making fake wands and Molly who uses her wand constantly still 
picked up a fake one without realizing it was her it was her actual wand. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's just like a really like a more common sort of mid brown wood that they're using for wands that makes it so the twins can even this product even makes sense. And I know in the movies they make all the wands look different, which I've never really liked because they all look atrocious as opposed to just like a nice I don't want to say shellacked polished. So and yeah, and we get in this chat, we get in this book where how, where like Harry's like, oh shit, my like wand is just covered in like fingerprints, <laughs> like like smudge fingerprints. It's like, yeah. oh Harry, you dirtbag. <laughs> <But> <laughs> okay, I have a proposal. I have two proposals. Okay. One, even if wands do look distinctly different from one another, the twins absolutely make fake wands that look like their mom's wand because they're oh jerks. yeah you're right <laughs> you're so right so... <laughs> oh god you're so right <laughs> but two i think that the real the real good magic of this would be if it has a glamour on it so that it looks like the wand oh. of whomever is looking at it fuck you're so right and that would make sense because that'd be much easier to do than having a variety of fake wands in a fuck ton of different colors. Right. No, you're totally right. That's totally what happened. I mean, I don't think that they look as like weird and different as they do in the movie. I agree with you on that. But I think that they're probably distinguishable. And probably people like do things to make them sort of their own, too. Like, they customize them? Yeah, I mean, Harry recognizes his wand from pretty far away in the dark in the in the later upcoming chapter so they must have something like things that make them like pretty easy to identify so yeah i think it has to be a glamour maybe like the knots or the whirls or whatever on wood so yeah so all right i'm just imagining some kid putting a bunch of like unicorn stickers on their wand <laughs> this kid 100% <laughs> Would you yes. like to look at my phone case right now? Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> I love it. That's so it. great. Uh, it's a space-themed phone case that's black that has a holographic unicorn sticker that I designed. It was our first sticker club sticker, but also on all of the places where there are stars, I've glued tiny little bedazzly things. I don't know what those are called. Little little gems. So it's extra glittery. Oh, yeah. It's very ridiculous looking. That's awesome. Yeah, I would definitely put some like cat stickers. No, correction. If I was going to Hogwarts in the nineties, I would definitely have <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog stickers on my wand. It's like Lisa Frank and Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. That sounds correct. <sighs> yeah, I had a Sonic the Hedgehog sticker on my library card as a kid for a very long time. Nice. Oh, Jesus. So <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. This podcast is a creation of Hashtag Ruthless Productions, and if you like it, you should check out our other podcast, Escape From Reality, which is about Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. And all of those projects are produced, mixed, and edited by me. And you could also tell your friends about this here podcast, because we're real cool. <laughs> and, uh... We're fun to listen to. You can also 
follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Daily Profit. And you could share some of our stuff so your followers can also enjoy the graphics that Lurk makes and um, me attempting to make whatever the newest Twitter meme is. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Speaking of Instagram, if you want to follow me, I am at Lark Malachi, which is L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I. And that's also how you spell my website, which is where you can get a tarot reading from me. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Life in Detroit if you want to know more things about birds. Um, <laughs> I am also on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. The music and our spoiler warning and theme song are by Kevin McLeod. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. And until next time. Just because you have the vaccine does not mean you should go to the Wizard World Cup and throw the dark mark up in the air. (laughs) 